Welcome to the Embassy Pod. I'm your host, Sambo, and together with the team at the U.S. Embassy of Lambatar, we're happy to present the first episode of our official podcast series in Mongolia. In this series, we're hoping to offer you conversations with the people in our embassy and American community who live, study, or work here to share their stories and experiences. Us Mongolian staff at the embassy are pleasantly surprised that so many Americans we work with have a good basis of knowledge and a healthy curiosity and respect for Mongolian history, culture, and people, and love for them. So we wanted to highlight those people and the work that they do here. Much of our online audience let us know that they would appreciate more resources to practice their English, and we hope to offer them content that's easy to follow and informative through this podcast series. I listen to podcasts all the time, and I love it when podcasts offer unique perspectives on different subjects through real-life casual conversations. I feel like it gives us a chance to reflect and helps us appreciate things that we may have taken for granted. Also, if you're thinking about applying for a scholarship in exchange or are interested in any other public programs that the embassy has to offer, you might find this podcast especially interesting because we'll be taking you behind the scenes and introducing you to people that work on all those programs. Now, without further ado, I'd like to introduce our very first guest of our podcast. Today, I'm joined by a world traveler, a former grunge band guitarist from Seattle, jazz and coffee lover, U.S. Embassy Diplomat, Public Affairs Officer, and my boss, Mr. Robert Tate. Rob, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Sambo. Thanks for having me on the show. Very exciting. We have a brand new podcast. It is. It is very exciting. Yeah. It's an honor to be the first guest, and it's 100% not because I'm your boss. <laughs> and I might add, you've traveled from Yubi to Havd on a motorcycle once. Remember the time you could do that, traveling? Yeah, remember those good old days when we could actually go outside, go on walks and travel throughout the country? Yeah, I did. Uh, I took a motorcycle with a group of people. Uh, it was not connected with the embassy. It was a personal trip to go from uh, Hovd to, I'm sorry, Hovskol to Hovd on a motorcycle uh, with a bunch of other Americans. And we donated these motorcycles, high quality motorcycles to help uh, rangers in Mongolia's national parks fight against wildlife trafficking and help preserve the habitats for endangered species. So it was an amazing trip, that entire 10 day trip over a thousand miles. I don't think we saw a single fence and they <laughs> deliberately picked a route that was uh, in the countryside off road. And it was just a, just a fantastic, memorable trip. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Gets me every time. <laughs> it's great to talk to you. Yeah, thank Sorry. you. Yeah, we, <laughs> we've been teleworking and, you know, staying at home like we should to help bring down uh, the COVID infection rate. So we haven't had a chance to talk. But um, in fact, we are teleworking at the moment and talking to each other via microphone instead of in the same room like we ordinarily would do. But Still, it's great to hear your voice. Yeah, it's um, really Speaking great. of Hovd, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that wasn't my first trip to Hovd. I went there, uh, well, you went on that trip too, now that I think about it, when uh, Ambassador Klachewski first arrived. His oh, first yeah. official visit was out to Hovd. That's right. What was the name of that cave? The Gordon Sengsengago, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, amazing. And that was really an extraordinary trip. And um 
beautiful, beautiful city and, and the countryside around there. And when we were back with uh, that group of motorcycle riders, we happened to pass near the, that cave, the Gorbensenkar Agol. And uh, I took those guys on a little detour to see that cave. So we got to see it twice now. It's a, it really is a world treasure. I know you're not saying that because I'm from there, right? <laughs> That's exactly why I'm saying it. Okay, cool. Well, I was, uh, was going to ask you to add one more thing to the introduction that I prepared about you. So if I were to do that, what would it be? Um, I would say that I'm really proud to be part of a family that's amazingly well-traveled and resilient. I've got two daughters and, and my wife. They've basically grown up overseas. Uh, my kids have lived in Ethiopia, Japan, Romania, West Africa, New Zealand, France, and now here. So they've been on the move ever since. And this year has been a particularly tough one, like so many people in Mongolia around the world with studying at home most of the year online. And, and we were separated for close to a year. The family went back uh, for COVID reasons, back to our home in Seattle while I stayed here to work. So they're back now. Uh, went through five weeks of quarantine. Uh, I went with them. I went home and came back with them. But we're glad to be together once again. And I'm I'm really proud to be the dad to these amazing kids who are so tough and so resilient and have great attitudes despite me dragging them around the world and then this terrible <laughs> 2020. Well, the reason, one of the reasons that you're dragging them all around the world and the reason you're here in Mongolia is obviously because you're a U.S. diplomat. How would you describe the job of a diplomat, and and why did you decide to become one? Can you can you maybe take us down the memory lane and talk about your upbringing and maybe other factors that shape your career as a diplomat? So I think if you really kind of peel back what a diplomat does, uh, obviously they advocate for the country's interests, uh, try to find common ground, and advance foreign policy objectives, but really at a basic fundamental level, what they do is, is try to represent the diversity and the values of the country that they're from. And uh, one of the things that I really admire about the American Foreign Service is that it is kind of a meritocracy. Uh, you don't have to have a special degree in you know, political science or, or law. You don't have to go to certain colleges or have a father who was in the Foreign Service. It's a series of tests, series of interviews, and, and then you're accepted. And we do try to actively recruit and retain people that do reflect the rich diversity that makes, I think, America so special. It's something we're always trying to improve and, uh, and increase. But um, so at a, at a very basic level, I'm just happy to represent this beautiful, diverse country <laughs> in my own small way overseas. I probably got the idea to serve in this capacity as a foreign service officer in a weird way from my dad. My father was a, a career military and we moved a lot around a lot when we were when I was growing up, like I'm doing to my kids. So I got kind of used to it. And uh, my dad wanted me to follow in his footsteps in the military, but I can't do very many push-ups. So I thought, how can I serve my country and still travel and not do push-ups? <laughs> this is the best idea I could come up with. 
That's great. So once you became a diplomat, did you want to come to Mongolia someday or was it fate or it just happened? What was it about Mongolia that caught your attention in the first place? I'll tell you, we've been trying to get back to Mongolia for 16, 17 years. So uh, my wife and I in 2000 and 2001 backpacked around the world uh, and visited 49 countries, I think it was. Uh, and one of them was Mongolia. In fact, our favorite country was Mongolia. I remember we traveled up to Lake Holtskull, down to the Gobi, saw so many incredible things, got to see a bit of Nadam in the countryside. Then shortly after that, I joined the Foreign Service. And every time there's a change of assignment, they put out a, a list of opportunities of jobs in different countries for diplomats. And Every single time that list came out, I would jump right to the M's and look for Mongolia. And it was never on the list. You know, they're just, the timing never worked out. Uh, and finally, it must have been 16, 17 years later, there I was on the list. So uh, we raised our hand and asked to come. And thankfully, we were accepted. And, uh, and ordinarily, it's a two-year assignment. But we love living and working here so much. Um, we asked to stay for a third year. So we're in our third year here in Mongolia. That's quite the story. It's, it's very different, I have to tell you. To, it, when I was here in 2000, you probably weren't even born yet. <laughs> I remember walking around downtown Ulaanbaatar, trying to wave down a car that, you know, our guidebook said you could wave down a car and almost anyone right, will be right. an informal taxi driver. And you can still see that today. But the thing that was different was we would be by the State Department store, let's say, looking up and down Peace Avenue and waiting for a car to drive by. And, oh, here comes a car. I wonder if they'll pick us up. And they would drive by. We'd wait a few more minutes. Oh, here's another car. Can you imagine seeing Peace Avenue without, well, I'm sadly, we can't imagine with a, all the lockdowns and all that. But uh, yeah, there was almost no traffic. The city has really, really grown. Good to be back and see that change. And we're glad to have you back. So once it was decided that you were going to come, what was the most absurd stereotype that you heard about Mongolia? Anything as big as uh, Mongolians ride horses to work or there are no vegetables, only meat or, well, that got to be devastating for a vegetarian, I'm sure. Well, you know, one stereotype I have to say was confirmed is a lot of people said, oh, I hear it's so cold there. Are you ready for the cold? And it is indeed <laughs> that cold <laughs> or worse. Um, I think what's been the biggest surprise is uh, is how Ulaanbaatar has become this vibrant, cosmopolitan, international city. You can have great Indian food or Italian food, American food, food from all around the world. There's music and people from all around the world and glistening high-rise buildings and and the traffic that comes with being in a big city. So I think that surprised me, especially since I saw it when it was a little quieter. And when we have visitors come, they're often quite surprised that this is, you know, first-class cosmopolitan city. Yeah, I was going to ask you, is it hard to be a vegetarian in Mongolia? But I guess I got my answer. <laughs> well, yes and no. So, you know, I... I'm a vegetarian. Sorry, my fellow friends in Mongolia. I can't sample all your your famous cuisine, but um, it actually hasn't been that bad. There are a number of vegan and vegetarian restaurants and vegetarian options. And I remember on that one of my first trips that I took for work, we went out to Genti and Dornod uh, with uh, a number of people from the Mongolian Association of State Alumni or MASA. And Half my suitcase was 
extra food <laughs> in case mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything vegetarian to eat. You know, the little camping food where you just add hot water and I brought some ramen noodles and things like that. But <laughs> uh, I had great food. You know, they would, we would tell the kitchen, you know, I don't eat meat and explain. Uh, and then my food was so good. I usually got vegetable hoshor, or potato hoshor, and uh, vegetable bowls and Tsuivan and soups and all that. It was so good that some of the other people on the team were starting to ask for my food as well. So yeah, you to hear that. if this yeah. were on video and not on the radio, you would see that I'm doing quite fine with a vegetarian <laughs> diet and putting oh, on weight no. even. So life is good. Well, glad to hear that. Um, so as our listeners now probably know, you've been here for quite some time now, almost three years. And looking back, do you feel like you've seen everything you've wanted to see in Mongolia? Do you have a, sort of a bucket list? Oh, boy. There, This country has endless possibilities and endless opportunities to explore and discover. So, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been lucky to travel, have, have the opportunity to travel a bit for my job. Um, I've been essentially to the four corners of Mongolia, to Darhan and Seleng, and out to Henti and Dornod and the Gobi, out to Zaphan and Govalte and Hovt. I have yet to be uh, to visit the the mountains, uh, so I would like to see that uh, in the far west before I go. I'd love to get back up to Darhan. I think that's a beautiful city. Um, and when I was here in 2000, we went to Erdenzo Monastery, but I've, I just keep pushing it back, <laughs> thinking like, oh, it's so close, I'll I'll be able to get to it sometime, and now for quite a while we haven't been able to travel so i would say right at the top of my bucket list is to see the world famous erdenzo monastery no gotcha well that's not a bad one to be on your list what's the best part about living in mongolia and what's the worst the best part i think really is the people it sounds a bit cliche but people are so friendly and open and um it's so easy to make friends and and it feels like they're lasting connections so my kids I'm sure we'll have lifelong friends with all their Mongolian classmates. And we've just been so warmly welcomed everywhere we go, uh, in fact, throughout Mongolia. So that that's probably the best thing. The landscapes are incredible, too. You know, when you're driving for eight hours on the road to get to a destination and just looking at the sky and the, the hills, that's incredible. So I know you only asked for one and I gave you two. Sorry. <laughs> Hard to choose. <laughs> what about the worst? Oh, the worst, huh? Well, you know, it's no joke. It gets cold here. <laughs> no surprises there for people who live here. But if anyone's listening and hasn't been here yet, it's definitely cold. But, the, you know, it is manageable. Uh, there's really no difference between, let's say, minus 10 and minus 30. It's just a number. Either way, it's going <laughs> to hurt if you don't have a hat on or gloves. So, but, you know, the thing that kind of mitigates or balances that out a little is that I think there's something like 250 days of sunshine in Mongolia. So even in the coldest heart of winter, the sky will be blue and the sun will be out. And coming from Seattle, where it's usually gray and cloudy and rainy, it's really nice to have the sun out in the middle of winter. So that helps deal with the cold (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Well, 
if uh, for, for those who are not here yet, any quirks of living in Mongolia that you found and expected that you want to share with them? Um, hmm. You know, my wife and I uh, like to walk. You know, one of the first things we do when we get to a new city is just spend that first weekend just walking around and exploring. And, um, and we generally walk to work. Uh, and we walk to work here, even in the middle of the Mongolian winter. And my wife hates the cold, but she looks like a penguin by the time she puts on all her coats and wow. hats and gloves and scarves, and which is good that we like to walk because, frankly, it's quicker to walk than to drive. That's uh, true. I would most days. Uh, so traffic is a challenge. You know, it's pretty heavy traffic. Uh, but the city is pretty compact and centralized so it's easy to get to just about anywhere uh you know in under 30 40 minutes on foot and you just get to see and hear and experience more i think walking around so i would say that yeah be prepared to bring comfortable warm walking shoes when you come to mongolia to make the most of it <laughs> good advice good advice Okay, so what does your normal day in UB as the embassy public affairs officer look like? By normal, I guess, uh, I mean pre-pandemic. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I hope this is not the new normal, but it may be at least for a little while longer. Well, you know as well as anyone working in public affairs, there kind of is no normal. <laughs> <laughs> Every day there's a new set of challenges, opportunities, programs, um, that's kind of what I love about it. It's very exciting. It's fast paced. And we are involved in everything the embassy does, really, from USAID to MCC, working with our military colleagues when they're building kindergartens across the country. Yeah, being aware of and helping to advocate and promote all of the various goals of of the embassy. That's exciting and busy work. I would say when I wake up in the morning, I've got two little Mongolian rabbits that my kids bought here. Um, <laughs> so we feed the rabbits. Um, I make one strong cup of coffee. I know you think I have a reputation of drinking coffee all day long, but certainly I'm trying to cut back <laughs> <laughs> to one a day. Uh, and then the first thing that I do, even before I check my email, is to check Twitter. <laughs> uh, and I get a sense of, you know, what the breaking news is, what our government has been saying overnight. Um, from there, I read news sites. I'll check my email, check my calendar for the day, make my way to work. This is, you know, back when we weren't working from home. And then a lot of meetings because public affairs is involved in everyone's work. So we're meeting anytime anyone's having a meeting, it seems like where they are meeting with them. Um yeah, uh, there, uh, a typical day will often include in public affairs evening events as well, because uh, we try to hold our public events when people are finished with their school or their uh, work, so they have an opportunity to come. Yeah, there's no real typical day, but I will say that many of them are long, <laughs> but you get sort of energy from meeting so many interesting and various people throughout the day. Yeah, that's a great segue to my next question of people-to-people -people relations. I know it's a cliche, but it's an, obviously an important aspect of your job. And you've probably met thousands of Mongolians from herders in the countryside to the scholars in the Fulbright interviews. How would you describe Mongolian people? That, 
Yeah, boy, great writers like Jack Weatherford have spent books trying to do that. <laughs> um, if I were to try to boil it down into just a few words um, that I've noticed in my time is that uh, Mongolians are very proud people. They've got a long and unique culture and history that they're rightfully very proud of and are very active in trying to preserve for the future. Uh, and they're also very forward-looking. Uh, they're engaged internationally. They're innovative. There's a strong spirit of entrepreneurship here. I would also say there's a real emphasis placed on education here that I personally really admire. People are hardworking and smart and make the most of any sort of educational opportunities that they're given. Uh, and there's an emphasis on family. Family unit here is so incredibly strong. And you see that during the during Nadam and Sagansa coming up, maybe a little less so this year. But that commitment and that closeness that you see here is something quite special. That's very nice of you to say. Um, so what what has been your personal priority then in bringing positive change to Mongolia? Who who would you say needs the embassy's help the most? Well, uh, I would say one of the things that I'm personally the most proud of and that I'll find rewarding when I come back to Mongolia, which I hopefully will as a, as a tourist maybe someday when I retire, uh, is that we have been able to partner with Mongolians on preserving their unique culture uh, through something called the Ambassadors Fund for Cultural Preservation. It's really, we talked about how Mongolia has this unique, sovereign, independent culture, and we've been able to successfully help preserve some aspects of that. Uh, our most recent project is to help preserve the Chojin Lama Temple Museum in the heart of Ulaanbaatar, but uh, we've managed to do a number of other things. We helped preserve the Amar Bayaskalant Monastery up in the north, the Leopard Skin Gair uh, here in UB, uh, a number of different programs, including with the National Museum to help them archive and barcode their collection. There's so much here that's worth preserving and just to be able to play a small role and partnering with Mongolians to help make sure that that unique culture especially that that expression of religious freedom and faith that goes way back into Mongolia's history, but unfortunately was kind of oppressed for a while and under democracy is thriving once again. To play a small part in that is something I'll always look back fondly on. Can you tell me your proudest moment as a U.S. diplomat in Mongolia? Is there is there like one moment that you can point at and say this made it worth coming here, or is it a combination of multiple things? Hmm, that is a tough one. <laughs> you know, um, we've really emphasized um, education and English language quite a bit, and in two ways we've had opportunities to expand our educational and English language programs. One was last year, the Year of Youth. Almost all our programming was focused on bringing young people from Mongolia and the United States together. And then shortly after that, we, uh, United States and Mongolia signed the strategic partnership that really elevated our bilateral relationship to the highest level it's ever been, which I think is personally a, a great thing. And this is based on a recognition that we share these fundamental values of 
democracy and human rights. And, and as third neighbors, we have so many areas in which to cooperate. So under that strategic partnership, we expanded the number of educational opportunities. We've got wonderful programs that you may have heard of or your listeners are, may have heard of, uh, like the Fulbright program and Humphrey Exchange program, uh, Flex program, Access uh, Micro Scholarships for English program. So we're expanding all of these and making sure that all Mongolians have equal opportunities and equal access to them. And then a specific moment where all of this will maybe come together and that I'll certainly look back on with fondness is traveling with alumni of our programs to study in the United States. Uh, uh, this organization called MASA that I mentioned earlier, we did, we've done a number of trips, but recently we went to Zafhan and Gobalte and was extraordinary. We saw so many young people that came out to hear about how they could learn English and how they could find out about studying in the United States at a university, how to apply for scholarships and their parents, uh, teachers, principals, the governors, the mayors. Uh, so many people were there. The media would come out and, and I just thought, wow, that is great that, uh, you know, it's a cliche to say, maybe if you change one life and give one person an opportunity. Uh, but I think it's certainly true. And so many of these young people are so determined and so ambitious. And you just know that if you give them one little opportunity, they're going to make the most of it. So I would say that's probably the, the proudest single moment. Well said, well said. So I'd like to end our conversation on a lighter note and let's do a little rapid fire segment where you have to answer simple questions as fast as you can. Okay, you gotta go with the first thought that comes to your mind, cool? Okay. Okay, favorite food? Uh, vegetable hoshot. Favorite musician? Uh, I like Magnolian. Go to karaoke song? Um, nobody's gonna know this, all you young people, maybe Stray Cat Strut. Okay, one thing to Google for. Um, favorite museum? Sanbazar Museum. Favorite Mongolian season? I think you have to go with summer, don't you? Mm-hmm. Favorite place to go during the weekend? I know this. Gandan Monastery. Oh, uh, favorite amic? Favorite amic? I can't choose uh, either Bulgan or Hopskol because I spent a little time there over the summer and it was so gorgeous. Favorite holiday? Oh boy, I would say Nadam, but that's a tough one. Favorite proverb? Helte bol holtoi. Great. Uh, favorite calling in the office? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's go with the most famous Mongolian you've met. Um, hmm, I, the who? The first thing you'll do once the pandemic is over. Maybe go to Terelj and have a picnic with the family. That sounds nice. Well, that's the end of it. That was pretty impressive, I'd say. Uh, and that's all I had for you. Um, hope you'll be able to visit Terelj when the th pandemic is over and Thank you so much for taking the time and letting us into your world. Thank you for having me, Sambo. I'd like to give huge thanks to Rob for agreeing to be our guest on our first episode. Now, let's hear from some of our friends and colleagues on a segment we call The Best News I've Had Recently. Sign Banu. Hello, everybody. My name is Lieutenant Colonel Philip Liu and I am the United States Defense Attaché to Mongolia. The best news I've had recently is learning that all of Mongolia's Expeditionary Task Force 11, led by Colonel Olsbeyer, 
is safely back in Mongolia after many months of operating in Afghanistan. Welcome home, everybody. Job well done. Thank you for your service. Hi, my name is Gary Robbins, the Senior Development Advisor at USAID Mongolia. I am proud to share that our relationship with Mongolia is stronger than ever. In January, USAID signed an 8.5 billion TORG expansion of the United States bilateral agreement together with the Ministry of Finance. Under this renewed commitment, we will work with our government and private sector partners to support the growth of Mongolia's small and medium enterprises. USAID will also initiate a new program that will help provide sustainable and reliable electricity for communities. Lastly, building on the success of previous programming, USAID will continue to support the government of Mongolia's efforts to advance good governance and civic participation. 2021 is marking the 75 years of the full path program and the incredible impact it's had on individuals. Since the program's inception in 1946, over 400,000 people worldwide participate in the program. And since full path Mongolia program started in 1994, there are about 500 individuals participated in two-way exchanges. People from all backgrounds, recent graduates, researchers, scientists, professionals, teachers, artists, and more have participated in this international exchange to help them better understand the world we live in. This year, as we're celebrating the Fulbright program's impact on science, government, business, education, society, and the arts, and the future, join us for the celebration with hashtag Fulbright75 via our social media channels and www.fulbright75.org website. See you there! Hello. I'm John Dwyer, the new Assistant Public Affairs Officer, coming to you straight out of quarantine. Well, technically still in quarantine. But the best news I've had recently is after four nose swabs in two weeks, my wife and I are confirmed COVID-free. We are now finishing our last week of quarantine from home and can't wait to meet many of you, our new colleagues, soon. That's it from us today. Thanks to our listeners for supporting our news project and sticking with us until the end. If you liked this episode, please share with your friends and leave us a review on whichever platform you're listening on. Please write to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at USEMB Mongolia. And of course, if you'd like to learn about all the exchange, scholarship, and other public programs that the embassy has to offer, please visit our website at mn.usembassy.gov. Please wear masks, wash your hands, keep social distancing, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Embassy Pod.